Now we continue in our time together in Romans chapter 7. Um, we have gone through verses 1 through 6, and uh, we'll briefly look at that in a moment. But um, one of the things that we're continuing to look at is sin. And as we, we know from message last week of what, uh, how it, it has to do with the law and what the law is in accordance to sin and so on and so forth. And um, through my studies and, and different things, I, I was reminded of a story that I heard one time a pastor um, gave. I, I, I can't quite remember who it was or how long ago it was, um, but uh, he told a story of when he had gone to a park uh, one uh, Saturday, um, I think it was like late morning, and uh, he, was, he was sitting in the park, and he had noticed that a park bench was recently painted, and um, they had just got done painting it, and the painters were putting a do not touch sign on it, and then they, they left. Um, and one of the things, or the, the, the interesting thing is, is he gave a, almost like a play-by-play account of people walking by this bench that said, do not touch. And he said, you know, what I realized after about 10 minutes is how many people went up to the bench, read the sign, and touched it. And he goes, why, why is that? Why does a simple sign telling you not to do something encourage you to do it? He goes, I wonder how many people would have just walked right by that bench if it did not have that sign. So since it had the sign, he, he, he watched for, uh, I think it was some 45 minutes or so, he said as he was sitting in the park, um, and just watched people come up and touch the bench. Wet paint, do not touch. Don't touch. And encourage them to do that. Have you ever wondered why uh, you're given such instructions of don't do this, don't open until Christmas, right? Um, uh, stay within this lines when you're driving. Stay within this speed limit when driving. But we're always tempted to want to touch it, open it, go faster. Have you ever had that thought? Have you ever come across that odd desire, right? As we look at it or talk about it, it may seem odd, but in the time, it's like it's just something that naturally occurs. Why is there simple uh, rules, simple little laws, simple little boundaries that were given throughout life, such as a don't touch sign, but we have to simply go and touch it? Does this remind you of anyone in Scripture? Well, we can venture all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where God gave the simple instruction, do not touch, do not eat the fruit of this tree. Simple enticement, simple manipulating of the words that God has given by Satan enticed Adam and Eve to partake of that tree. They were given one rule, one law. Don't eat of this fruit. Don't touch it. But they did. How much is that true in our own lives? Now we can think about the different rules and laws and, and boundaries that are given, whether we are in school, at work, at home, driving down the streets, commuting, whatever it may be. And we're always enticed at some point, in my opinion, we are all enticed at some point to touch something we're asked not to touch. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever processed that logic, that thinking? Where does that desire come from? In the same way, we can apply this to our spiritual life. Actually, in the same way, we should apply this to our spiritual life. Why, why does God give us commands? Why does God give us instructions? Why does God give us 
this and that and so on and so forth, but yet we choose to not abide by them. Why do we struggle with this simple task so much? Hopefully our time together today um, here in Romans chapter 7, we will see uh, a picture that Paul paints, and not only a picture that Paul paints, but an illustration from his own life, in a sense a testimony from his own life, on why or how big that struggle is. But hopefully coming to the conclusion and understanding of answering the question that we see there in in, uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 1, and we will see another one in Romans chapter uh, 7, verse 7, and then a Another one moving on further beyond that, as we'll get to next week, it's not the law's fault. But one of the things that I hope that we can have as a backdrop in our own mind or be able to personalize and to be transparent with ourselves is what are the things that we're asked not to touch just from a general perspective, generally speaking, not being on specifics, but what are the things that we were, what, called not to touch, but we we tend to want to touch them anyways. Before we go any further, let me pray, and then we'll get into our text this morning. And part of my prayer will be that we um, are not confused by Paul's teaching here, or I should say my teaching, uh, but that it would be more clear and we would have a better understanding of God's Word uh, at the end of our time together today. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for your Word. And the Holy Spirit, may you continue to use them both um, to convict us, to counsel us, to shape and mold us, to be more like Jesus Christ each day. Lord, I pray that your message um, through Paul and the message through me, Lord God, would be one that honors you, glorifies you, and brings clarity and understanding to your teachings, Lord God. May we not mix them up. May we not confuse them. May we not make them more complicated than what they need to be. May we truly see them for what they are. And what they are is truth, light. So Lord, bless us our time. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we looked at last week in Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Starting right in the beginning of verse 1, it says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So we had this comparison of this, what? the, the, The general rule of law only applies to living people, okay? Once you die, you're dead. You, the, 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 law never, the law doesn't apply to you anymore, in a sense. Okay? And the same thing in marriage. The marriage bond, right? that law that binds you together, is only binding as long until you, what? As long as you both shall live. Okay? So one, one partner passes away, um, then the spouse can therefore uh, is no longer legally bound by law to that individual that has passed away and they can move on if they choose to do so. And so we see from a general perspective what this means and then going into that, okay, now that we're dead to sin, we're no longer bound or tied up to the law. We're now bound and tied to who? Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel message. And as Paul continues on, we will see through this next part, he continues to deal with the law and sin and its correlation, but clarifying, hopefully clarifying what the law truly is and is not. Why? Because the churches in Rome struggled with this, particularly the um, Jewish converts um, really struggled with this. And Paul needed to address this over and over again because of the issues and the questions constantly being brought up and the manipulation of God's word. So Paul needed to continue to, in almost an apologetic way, in, in, in a, in a uh, um, doctrinal way, address these different things, okay? So, brings us to our passage this morning, starting in verse 7 of Romans chapter 7. 
says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Now, Paul continues his question and answer approach with clarity, okay? Now, I know it might not be clear to some of us in trying to decipher some of what Paul is saying here, but Paul is personalizing this in a great way. He's beginning to be transparent with us. He's beginning to share his life with us. He's beginning to share through God's word and what God's word means and his laws and the understanding of these different things. He's giving his testimony. He's giving a piece of himself so that we can understand this more clearly. Now, it might seem from all of this that Paul is very critical of the law and may seem that the law is evil in some way, but this is far from the truth. We will see in our passage this morning um, the importance of the law and the role it played in Paul's life before he was saved. He emphasizes that the law reveals sin in man and is not sin itself. So Paul wants us to understand that the law is basically this mirror, right? And this mirror that begins to help us see and reveal the inner man or the inner self, right? And it's to show us, right, how dirty we are and, and how sinful we are and the things that we need to work on, right? And in the same way, it's, it's similar to what we see in James chapter 1. You can turn there with me. James chapter 1. The reason I share this is because Paul is doing a reflection of himself, right, viewing himself and where he was at this time, and it's very convicting for him as he writes these passages going th and going through the rest of chapter 7. You'll see that over the next couple messages on how transparent Paul is, Paul was, for what? For our benefit, okay? So James chapter 1, verse 22, says what? It says, but be doers of the word. I encourage you to go back. I didn't, I'm not going to cover everything um, that has to do with this passage. I'm just going to pluck out a piece of it, okay? Um, but I encourage you to read uh, at least three or four verses before that, before verse 22. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Okay, Verse 25, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing, okay? So this is the person, the Christian, who goes and looks into the Scriptures, right, and walks away immediately forgets that, well, why were you looking into the Scriptures? Well, you're a believer. Okay, you're a believer, so what, you sh what should you do? You should not only hear the Word, right? And this could be the same as coming to church and hearing teachings and preachings on God's Word. Hear of the Word and not a doer of the Word. It's like walking away and forgetting who you are right? It's like, okay, you come to church and you listen to these messages, or you go into a Bible study and you read in the church, like, wow, that's great. That's good. This is, this is awesome. I needed that. Or whatever it may be, it's like, oh, that was convicting. I need to work on this. And as soon as you walk out the door, it's like, you go and do what you want to do, not what God is trying to do 
in you and through you because of the word and the Holy Spirit. We forget who we are. We forget. If you're just a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, this is you. This is me. We are to act on what we are taught. Okay? That's why it says, that's why I read verse 25, because a lot of us read this passage going further back in, in, in uh, chapter 1. Oh, wow, it's this and it's that. It's like, oh, here and not a doer. But then verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law. What's the perfect law? The scripture, God's word. So the one who looks into it, right? The law of liberty and preserves, right? Being no hearer who forgets. Being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. If we think for some reason that we're going to attend church, listen to sermons online or whatever it may be, or go and read God's word because that's what we're expected to do, so on and so forth, and just be hearers of the word and expect us to be godly people, you are lying to yourself. You are clinging to a false hope. And why is that? Because the scriptures are meant for us to, be, to live them out. They're meant to change our lives, right? It's not meant for us to come as like, oh, that makes me feel good. Yes, they're encouraging, right? They lift us up. There's passages in scripture, it's like, man, I'm having a bad day. Let me go read some. It's like, yes, it encourages me. It lifts me up. It changes my emotion. These are all wonderful and great things, but means nothing unless we what? Live them out. Paul's not trying to rip away the, the encouraging things and the great things and the loving things and all this. He's not trying to do that. He's trying to help us understand that we must live out the word of God. We cannot come and say, wow, look it, I'm a Christian. I listen to messages. I read the Bible. I pray. But then our actions are completely null and void of anything that has been placed into our heart and our minds through the scriptures. We must understand that unless we begin to act on the convictions that we are given through the scriptures, we fail. We fail. And I've said it many times before in the past, and I will say it again. No one can act upon the convictions that God gives you but you. I don't know what those convictions are. I can study scripture. I can deliver scripture as we go through different things. I can assume what convictions you may or may not have, but I don't know. You know, and God knows. I just have to give the benefit of the doubt and trust that you are embracing God's word and that God's doing a great work within you ultimately for you to continue to press upon yourself to apply in your life. This is why we're encouraged to live life together, not live life on Sundays, not live life on Bible study days. Together every day of the week, we should have some contact, some fellowship, something. Why? Because this is what we are called to do, live life together. This is one of the reasons why we don't. Because we don't trust people. We don't like to open up. We don't want people in our business. Why? Because, as I've said in previous passages, we like to carry a dead corpse around our old self and be stuck to the things that we love to do that we know that we should not do. Now, I'm getting a little ahead of myself because that is a passage that's coming up where Paul talks about his struggles in his own life later on here in chapter 7. But the law essentially is meant to reveal God's standard for our lives, right? Now, we already know that we're not married to the law. We're now married to Christ, right, and attached to him. So where does the law come into place? The law comes into places. This is the standard that God is giving us, right? And we see that here in James chapter 1, okay? Look intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty and preserves being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in doing so. The law reveals God's standard, and we are to compare ourselves against that standard. Okay? 
And that is convicting within itself. It's so hard. But one of the things that I want to just take a little brief side note here and just say, hey, look, don't look into God's word and be discouraged. Don't. Man, God says I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't. If I go back, I don't know, two or three messages ago, we long to what? Live out these laws, to live out God's commands because we what? We love him. And our love for him should be greater than our love for anyone else, for anything else. And that is the truth. We need to understand that we um, need to be able to identify the sin in our lives. Right? We need to be able to walk up to a mirror, right? And this is figuratively speaking. It's not, I'm going to walk in the mirror. It's like, oh, I have some sin up here on my forehead. And I got a little bit on my chin, right? I got some over here. I got some stuck in my teeth, okay? But it should be like walking up into God's word. And as he reveals sin in our lives, right? This is the light. And as we are coming to the light, okay? Don't think for a second that because you're a Christian, you're pure light. Don't deceive yourselves. There are dark things within us that need to be exposed. And how are they exposed? Through God's word. And as they're exposed through God's word, we need to not walk away and forget them. As God, as we come to the light and God exposes things with the light, with his truth, with his word in our lives, in our heart, we need to like, okay, I need to deal with this. I need to work on this. And it's not going to be a, you know, don't, don't think it's going to be a quick right away, you know, oh, I, I, I have this sin in my life. I recognize it. I repent. It's gone forever. We, we, if we approach it that way, we get discouraged very quickly because then our first sign of trouble and we struggle and we stumble and this, it, it's like, oh, well, there's no hope. We have, to, we have to work towards it, okay? We have to work on it, right? And hopefully we can open up a little bit and, and bring somebody else in. It's like, hey, I need help working on this. You know, can you encourage me? Can you hold me accountable, right? So much in here for us to truly embrace and understand. But basically, he is saying that the law um, is telling Paul, okay, what sin was, okay, what sin was. And I, and I know it, it's going to get a little confusing, and I, and I hope you don't get too confused as we continue to move through this. And I'm going to try to explain it in a way that we can grasp it, okay? I don't always do the best job. I, I pray and try and hope that I do. But it says here, it says, yet if I had not been, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, okay? Now, this is why I constantly say we must tell people the bad news for them to understand that they need the good news, Okay? How does someone know that they need a savior if they don't understand that they are a sinner? Okay. This is our, our current culture and society is moving so far away from this right now. We don't want to tell people they're a sinner. I don't want to tell people that they're a sinner. I just want to tell them that they're loved. If they're living in sin and you go and say, I love you, then it's like, oh, great. I, what I'm doing is fine. What I'm doing is okay. What I'm doing is, is I'm getting love from Christians. Approval. Now, I'm not saying we are not to love people. Yes, we, that's one of the things that we have a hard time doing as Christians. We go one way or another, right? We go to full blast, love, accept everything, no matter what you're doing, even if it's contrary to God's word, I'm going to love you and it's going to be okay and we're going to sing Kumbaya and we're going to have Starbucks. Okay, then the other end is like up until you stop doing this, I'm not going to talk to you. I can't love you. I can't. No, don't. I'm unfriending you on Facebook. Right. And we have this mindset and this is a corrupted mindset in which at, at some point churches begin to grab onto one end of the spectrum or the other. Right. And then begin to press this upon the churches Right. And then churches, the congregation eats this up and then they go and press that upon what 
their neighbors and their friends, right, and their family, and, and it continues to spread and spread and spread. We saw this going on quite a bit, especially in the 90s, okay, and it's continued to progress, but now it's taking what? An overcorrection, okay? Now it's a lot of intolerance, for tolerance. I don't want to get into that subject. That's a different soapbox I'll step on at another time, but what I want us to understand is this. We need to have a healthy understanding of the law is there to expose sin in non-believers' lives, okay? The sin is there, or sorry, the law is there to expose sin in non-believers' lives. We're going to get to more of that in a moment, and Scripture explains that for us. But this is what Paul's saying. I didn't know that I was a sinner, until the law exposed the sin to me, okay? Same thing. If we had no laws, then would we know what was wrong? We wouldn't, right? If we're given a picture to color as a child and says, stay within the lines, right? We would not know to stay within the lines unless we were given those instructions, okay? I, and I know this very clearly because sometimes I give instructions to my children and I give the instructions and they go do it. And I come out and like, what are you doing? Well, dad, you said this. And I go, yeah, I did. I said, but that's not this. It's like, well, you didn't tell me not to do that. You just said to, to do it, right? And so because I didn't give them clear instructions, boundaries, right, they did it how they thought was okay, and maybe it wasn't. I can remember one time my, my uh, dad told me to take out this pile of garbage in the garage, and he goes, take out the garbage in the garage. Well, I, I think I was maybe, I don't know, eight years old at the time. I was pretty young. Um, I, I can remember where we lived. I can remember the garage. Like I, I can picture it in my mind. And I went and I took everything in the garage and put it out for the garbage. This was back when there was no garbage, automated garbage truck things, and then men jumped out and they grabbed whatever pile was there and threw it in the garbage, right? Well, apparently I threw out a bunch of stuff in the garage that was not garbage. Because to me, I was like, oh, that's garbage. Oh, those, those tires and rims, that's garbage, right? And uh, that didn't go over too well. I was like, Dad, you told me to throw out all the garbage in the garage that's not garbage. Like, I don't know. I'm eight years old, right? But in the same way as we approach scripture, God tells us, hey, don't do this. Don't do that. Hey, do this, do that. And a lot of times as we go and we, we, we try to live these out, we just try to live them out best to what? Our knowledge. And sometimes our knowledge is skewed from what the scripture is truly saying. So, so God's word is saying, look, don't come look into the word and then walk away and then forget. And a lot of times we don't forget. A lot of times we look into the word and we change and we manipulate. It's like, oh, I like this piece over here, but not this piece over here. So I'm going to apply this piece. And all we're doing is we're manipulating God's word. We have to understand that this, this, these laws, these commands, right, for non-believers are given to expose sin. Okay. And Paul is going to continue down this path where he even exposes his sin that he struggled with here in this passage, and we already saw it here in verse 7. So now as Paul continues by making it very clear and saying I and I and I and I, he's making this very personal for us throughout this passage, actually not only through this passage, but throughout the rest of this chapter. And we will see how he points out his own struggle with the last commandment, right? And what's that commandment? Covetousness. It says right here, you shall not covet, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Don't covet what your neighbors have, okay? Don't covet their wife, their donkey, their yard, their house, their car, their job. Don't covet what other people have, okay? Don't. Now, some people take this to the opposite extreme to where 
you know, you to be a good steward with what I give you, right? Okay? And then they think, oh, I don't need to take care of my yard because it's just my yard. And well, everyone else around me has a nice yard and that's fine. And I, I'm not going to covet their yard. And so therefore, I'm not going to do any yard work um, and just let my yard go, right? I know this is a very basic example, but we can apply this in many different forms in our own life to where, you know what, we are to be stewards of what we have. We are not to covet what other people have to where we desire that. We, our desire should be what? To honor and worship God, to live a life in serving to him, right? So, but we're going to get into this covetousness a little bit more where coveting takes place in the heart and the mind. And Paul had this struggle, okay? So he's saying the law exposed the sin in his life, okay, for where he coveted these things, okay? And I know it said that, um, I'm going to address this later. I just want to mention it now so you don't get confused, okay? He says, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, okay? I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet, okay? He knew that evil thoughts and that these desires is, are sinful as well. Um, these are evil deeds, and these are things that Paul struggled with, okay? And he reveals that to us here. Now, we're going to push into verse 8, so hopefully we begin to get some more clarity in what Paul's talking about especially when it talks to he did not know sin um, and the law made sin known to him. Verse 8 says, But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, okay, we'll look at that commandment in a moment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Okay, let's clear that up. Um, I know it can be a little confusing, but bear with me. So sin seizing an opportunity, right? Sin uses the specific requirements of the law or the base or foundation of the law to propel essentially sin's evil work. And what do I mean by that? Don't touch the bench. Don't touch the bench. Right? Well, what do you want to do? I want to... Why, why can't I touch it? It's pretty. It, it looks new. Why can't I touch it? Right? Don't touch the bench. I remember I was at a church and they just had a brand new building bent, uh, built, brand new building built. And um, there was this huge controversy because in the children's ministry wings, right, they wanted to paint walls and put up posters and, and do different things for children, right? Um, but those that um, were part of the committees know this is a brand new building. We don't want to paint the walls. We don't want to put up, we don't want to put holes in the walls, and we don't want to do this, and we don't want to do that. Um, and there's this big thing of, can the children's ministry wing look like children's ministry right? The walls. And it's like, instead of just white wall, you go in, it's just all white walls. Like, are we in an institution? This is for our children. This is our nursery. Why can't we do these things? And so some of the children's ministry workers just, uh, you know, gradually started putting things up on the walls, even though they weren't supposed to, okay? Um, now, I know this goes back to a later message that I had. It's better to uh, ask for forgiveness later than to ask for permission now, uh, scenario, but it's the same thing. You can't do it. Well, why not? Because I said you can't. But I want to. If I never brought up the subject, will we even be having this discussion? It's the same way, right? It's the same thought. Sin seizing the opportunity. So sin, in a sense, is using the law. Satan is using the law to push that onto people that's saying, ah, you can't do that. Don't do it, right? It's like the forbidden fruit, right? Don't eat that. You can't have that. God says you can't do that. Or did he really say that? And begin to have this internal struggle. A lot of it is mental to where we mentally 
process this and we lose that mental battle to where it's like, ah, you know what? It's okay. I'll just ask for forgiveness. Ah, it's okay. God, I don't think God really said that. Ah, it's okay. God loves me. He'll understand. It's not that offensive. It's not a big deal. Oh, you know what? Times are different now. God didn't know. He didn't understand that how things were going to be today. We have this mentality and we continue to manipulate God's word. But we understand that confronted by God's law, the sinner's rebellious nature finds the forbidden thing more and more attractive, asserting one's self-will. When the law forbids all kinds of coveting, man's corrupt nature is inflamed all the more to do it. And we see that here with Paul. Turn me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just a little bit to the right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Verse 11, Therefore, excuse me, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known, to, known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves, right? We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For, I'm going to go to verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Thing is this, is that you can go further back in 2 Corinthians 5 and, and look at um, some of the previous things, but understanding this passage is that there were those that were completely only worried about their outward appearance, right? But they're going to be judged as they come before the Bema seat, right? The judgment seat of Christ, of God understanding that they're going to be judged for these things. Now, in and through that, they need to understand that the outward stuff is not the important thing. It's what's in the heart, okay? And a lot of times, they just do what's on the outward, just what looks good on the outside, and not what is truly within. With covetousness, it starts from within, and that's what Paul dealt with on the outside, he looked like this perfect person who wrote most of the New Testament, planted many churches, done great things, godly, godly man, but he had a covetous heart. He had one that did not truly, um, before he was saved especially, and we're going to see that here in a moment, um, he did not recognize or understand until sin had exposed that in his life. Now, verse 9, chapter 7 of Romans says this. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Now, before being convicted by the law, and this is what I spoke about just a second ago, Paul was alive. His sinful nature was dormant in a sense to him, right? He's like, okay, I, I'm not a sinner, Okay, remember the Pharisee of all Pharisees, right? He lived out the letter of the law, okay? Um, but he was ignorant of the sin in his heart. Now, uh, when the commandment came, it came with a crushing blow, a hard conviction, his sinful nature fully inflamed, okay? Understanding that when he began to realize that he was a sinner, it was, it was devastating to him, okay? Because he realized that he was fully inflamed in his sinful nature and he thought he was um, righteous and holy. Something in the human nature wants, uh, wants to rebel, right? As a law is given, as I talked about in the beginning of our time together, it's very simple. Don't touch this, don't do that, but there's a sinful nature within us that we want to touch it we want to do it and we shouldn't 
continues to entice people, continues to draw them away from the truth, from the law, from the things that honor and glorify God. Believers who try um, and live out rules and regulations, right, basically end up discovering that their, their legalistic system only arouses sin more and more, right? And this is one of the, the detriments of legalism, okay, where you're more, uh, you're living out the law more than anything and forgetting or understanding that you live under the grace, right, in and through Jesus Christ. And this is where a lot of churches go astray. Sin is meant to what? Exp- I'm sorry, the law is meant to expose sin. And so when churches cling to the laws more than they cling to grace, it just exposes sin more and more, it just arouses sin in the life more and more. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We're going we're gonna, to, if you have time, you can read through this more um, at a later time. I'm, I'm not going to take us through the whole thing. But in Galatians chapter 5, we're going to see the church of Galatia and how they um, were clinging to legalism, right? And here is some of the, the outcome of that or how they have gone astray because of that. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so what was being addressed here is that through their legalism, they no longer were loving one another like they should. Okay, and this loving one another as other brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God, the body of Christ in which they were in, they were not loving one another like they were called to. They were abiding and devouring one another. Why? Because they continued to cling to the law more than they clinged to Christ. Their legalism did not make them more spiritual. It made them more sinful. The law arouses the sinful nature. Now, this is what Paul is getting to. This is what Paul is trying to reveal to us, okay? Now we're going to get into the part where it says, wait a second, the law the law tricked me in a sense. But it wasn't the law, it was the sin, it was Satan using the law to deceive Paul, right? We must remember what happened in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve where Satan used the law that God gave and then manipulated it to trick them, in a sense, to make the decision to break that law and apply it in an ungodly manner. Verse 10 and 11 of Romans chapter 7, it says this, The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Okay, we see it right there. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment. Okay, let me read that again. For sin, seizing an opportunity, use that word seizing again, through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. And through it killed me. Paul realized that apart from Christ, he was condemned. Condemned to what? To death. Okay? He discovered that although the commandment was designed to bring life, he realized he received it in a way that brought him death. Now, remember, this was before Paul had his conversion. Turn me to Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18, all the way left is in your Bibles. Leviticus 18, verse 5. When was the last time you were in Leviticus? Leviticus 18, verse 5. I'm going to read verse 4 with it. It says, You shall follow my rules and keep my statues and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. Verse 5. 
You shall therefore keep my statues and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. This is the commandment that Paul took, right, and lived out to the letter of the law, right? But he failed to realize the role that Jesus played. That sin said, this is the only way you can get to heaven. Live out these laws, these commands. Live them out. That's it. It's all about the rules. It's all about the laws. It's all about the commands. It's all about these things. It's not about, and distracted him from what? From recognizing the Messiah. To the point that he was persecuting the church. Turned out to be a, a sentence of death, essentially, for Paul. Sin had deceived him, right? And he confesses that here in Romans chapter 7. For the law cannot give life. We must understand that. The law cannot give life. It can only show the sinner that he or she is guilty and condemned. See, this is the thing. We don't like to tell people, right, or help people come to the realization that they are guilty and condemned because of the sin. We don't like doing that. But we need to look on the other side of the spectrum and say, you know what? If we are Christians and we believe the scriptures are true, in which they are, then that is a ticket to an eternity of separation from God to hell. And basically because of our desire to want to not, um, quote unquote, hurt people or lose their friendship or their trust or come across a certain way. What's the alternative? We need to be obedient servants of Christ through and through. We must understand the law cannot give life. It can only show the sinner that he or she is guilty and condemned. This explains the legalistic Christians and churches that are out there. They are only living by the law and not by grace through Jesus Christ. Um, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Now, a lot of us are going to know this. This is the, the account of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, I'm going to read a certain part, then a commentate on it a little bit. But Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Um, and behold, a lawyer stood up <clears throat> to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and, all, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Okay? So it's like, okay, great. Do this, and you will live. Right? He's answering his questions. It's like telling him what to do. But then he says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor, right? Well, who is my neighbor? Because I don't want to love everybody, right? So I, I, I just, I just want to make sure that my neighbor is these whoever, you know, and it began, begins to, to take it in a very legalistic way. Who is this? It's a lawyer, right? How do I... Split hairs. How do I make sure I just do the bare minimum? How do I make sure that, you know, I, I don't need to love everybody. I don't need to help anybody. I don't need to take care of everyone. So then Jesus gives us the famous account of what? The Good Samaritan. And, it, and this is an amazing story of how we need to be what? More loving, more gracious, more hospitable, more giving, right? All these different things. 
This is just as convicting for me as anyone else and is something that we need to truly understand and embrace. But you know what? The law has its reason, has its purpose, has its ministry, as I mentioned last week. But it's different for the unbeliever and the believer. It still has its purpose. It still has its role, right? And we are to understand this, but we need to apply it in the way that is needed. So as Paul emphasizes that the law was not to blame, that it was indwelling sin that pushed him to do what the law prohibited, sin suggests that God is withholding pleasures from us that are somehow for our good. Um, and that's not true. A lot of times Christians approach laws in this way. And we think that God's just withholding stuff from us. And that's not true at all. Essentially, the laws are given, the commands are given. And as Christians, it's to, to help us and draw us nearer to him, to be more like Christ, right? Remember the sanctification process? That it's what it's there for. We're not married to them. We're not under them, but they are still applied to us. In a sense, we need to understand these different perspectives and, and reasonings and these teachings, the difference between the law and sin. So, um, and thus sin killed Paul in a sense, as he mentioned here, right? Um, and, and what does it mean by that? Basically, it spelled out his death, right? No, no matter his best hopes, okay, of uh, deserving or earning salvation, Paul thought he was doing that through, through applying the law, living out the law, right? And it was all about the law, but it was nothing about Jesus Christ, salvation, true salvation through him. Turn me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse nine. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. OK, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. The truth is what? The scripture. Okay, the scripture. You can read that again, but it's very clear. The coming of the lawless one. Okay, who's the lawless one? Satan. Okay. As we continue to, to do away with more and more commands and laws that we get from God's word, we get what? Lawlessness. We move away from godliness. And we can see as this, these two verses, right, bring out a better understanding. You refuse the truth. You refuse God. Let's move on to verse 12. Now, we see, as we go from verses 10 and 11, these commandments, his promise has proved me to death for Sin, seizing an opportunity, so how sin manipulator uses the law, right, to, to help um, deceive, uh, deceive people to stay in that state. And then, as Paul said, he's like, okay, I learned, I thought I was being saved, but in a sense, I was dead. So then through that, it, it, it's like it killed me. But then he clarifies all of this, right? Okay, he's given the testimony of how the laws revealed the sin in his life and exposed that, right? After his, um, his transformation, he uh, came to these realization. Verse 12, so the law is holy, 
and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Okay? It's like, wait a second. The law killed me. Well, it really wasn't the law. It was the sin. Well, I didn't know I was a sinner until the law was there to reveal that sin within me. And as the laws continued and the truth continued to reveal these things within me, I, I realized that I was really dead. Dead in what? In his trespasses. He wasn't alive in Christ. The law is holy, and each commandment is holy and just and good. In our thinking, we must constantly remember that there is nothing wrong with the law. The law was given by God and therefore is perfect as an expression of his will for his people. We must not apply it in the wrong way. Because when we do that, it becomes sinful. The weakness of the law is only in its subjects, right? The law is perfect. The scriptures tell us that. The law is holy. Commandments are holy. Then where does all this bad stuff come from? It comes from us. When we neglect it, negate it, manipulate it, manufacture it. It was given to people who were already sinners. And this is where it gets out of hand. We need the law to give, um, we needed the law to give them the knowledge of sin, right? To give non-believers the knowledge of sin. But beyond that, we need a savior to deliver us from the penalty and power of sin. Sin is like a personal, like enemy within us, right? Constantly there to attack us, to lead us astray, to go against us, right? And a lot of times we cling to sin, right? And we don't think it's sin. We cling to things in our lives, thinking that they're good for us, thinking that they're okay, but in reality, they're not. And we allow this foothold, essentially, to be there for Satan to really uh, cling on, to grasp on, to have a hold of, right? And not truly treat it as an enemy. We need to not let the law of God to be used for sin in our lives. And that can go a few different ways. Uh, we can become legalistic by clinging to the law, not clinging to the cross, right? And we can go the complete opposite, where we toss out all the law and commandments, right? And just cling to everything. In a sense, we are, we are uh, almost having a false understanding or belief within ourselves that, well, I'm just being loving and gracious. And in a sense, we end up clinging to the world more than we are clinging again to the cross. Because as we cling to the cross, we cling to the truth. And the truth is the scriptures, God's word. And this is what we need to be clinging to. We need to understand. Because just as, as much as Paul reveals to us here on how the law, right, made sin alive to him, realized that he was dead, he understands that it's what? Holy. It's from God. It's needed. Verse 12 clarifies that. Now, as we move on, we will see on the next week or two as Paul continues to reveal the struggles in his life and different things. And, but when it comes to the law, we need to understand its role, its purpose, and what it is and what it is not. Um, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to close with this. First Timothy chapter one, verse eight. Um, 
I encourage you to read all of chapter 1 um, in 1 Timothy. It's great. I'm just going to take uh, verses 8 through 11. Um, I mean, we could even just pluck out um, verse, uh, verse 3 here. Um, and apply it, but I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep us in verses eight through eleven. It says, "Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully." Right? Very simple, very clear. Verse nine, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedience. For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslaves, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to what? To sound doctrine sound doctrine to the truth okay verse 11 in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed god with which i have been entrusted it makes it very very clear here the law is for okay the law exposes and brings life to sin it exposes and brings life to sin in who? In sinners' lives, right? Essentially killing them. What do I mean by that? It, it helps them realize or should help them realize that they are dead in their trespasses, right? Bringing them to that realization. And why is this? So we can share the gospel with them and how they can be alive in Christ. Jesus. And that's the good news. That's the good news. So the law can come in different ways, right? We can see as Paul, right? He had this covetousness, right? For the law, right? And it's things that come that were through his mind and in his heart and, and they essentially came out and he realized that it was for the wrong reason, the wrong things, right? He was chasing after all of the uh, uh, the things that the law was telling him to do. Why? Because in a way, sin had got a hold of him in and through that. He was so passionate about the law. It's like, I'm going to live that. I'm going to live it out better than anybody else. Anybody else. And I'm going to go, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to go. And he rose to the top, persecuting the church, persecuting Christians. And then God got a hold of him. And say, no, Paul, not, not anymore. Well, it wasn't Paul, it was Saul. He's like, not anymore. And he says, when he realized what he was doing, it killed me. Probably in more ways than one. So how is your spiritual life? How is it? Do we go and we look at the perfect law? Do we look at the truth? Do we look at God's word? Do we embrace it? Do we live it out? Or do we walk away and simply it's about the outward and not the inward? Where as long as I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I do what I'm supposed to do as a good Christian, things fine. But do we not allow... God's commands to expose the dark things within us. And they might not be dark to us, but anything contrary to the word of God is sin, and sin is darkness. And there are dark spots within me, as I'm sure there are dark spots within each and every one of you. But God's word is meant to expose that whether you are clinging to the laws and not to the cross, or you're clinging to the world and not to the cross, no matter what end of the spectrum you're on, the one direction we all need to move towards 
is towards the cross. Love, grace, and mercy, and understanding that the laws are meant, the commands are meant to expose sin in those non-believers' lives and to help us as believers to be more like Jesus. But they don't save us. They don't save us. And they don't cause us to sin. So where are you spiritually? Where are you spiritually? What are the things that you know you're not supposed to touch, but you continue to touch? What are the things that you know that you are to deal with or get rid of, but you don't? What are the things in your lives that you can go and look into a mirror and say, you know what, I need to work on this, and I need to work on that? As Paul reveals himself and his struggle, he reminds us, and he will continue to remind us as we push through chapter 7, that even some of the greatest and godly men such as Paul struggle, have shortcomings, and continue to have things they need to work on to be more like Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for our time this morning, Lord God, as we, we continue to get a glimpse of Paul's life May we be encouraged. May we be encouraged that someone's greatest hymn had struggles also, that we are not alone. May we be encouraged in such a way to act, to act upon the commands that you give us, to act upon the truth that you give us in exposing the things that are in the dark, that are within us. May we truly understand and see the things that are within us that we need to work on, that we need to give to you, ultimately to be more like Christ. So Lord, continue to press upon us your truth. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.